Let us pray. Meeting with God. Maybe we should have this on our calendars, on our program, to remind us that this is official in this sense, an appointment that we make, an appointment that we determine the hour. We decided at 10.30 and you said, yes, I will be there. If we decided later or earlier, you'd, you would have still been here. Because how will you want to miss a meeting with your children? That is the story of the Bible. A God that is seeking us, a God that is calling after us, a God that wants to be with us. A God we do not always treat very well. And still you come. Still you are. We thank you for this. We ask, O oh Lord, that as we gathered in your presence, that you will use the words I need to say about you and about faith and other things to help us understand a little bit more about this journey that you have us on, the journey of faith and salvation. I pray, Lord, for all the people that are connected with us online. You know them, where they are and, and what they are thinking. And I also pray, Lord, that this, these words will reach also far and wide into the living rooms, tablets, phones of people that just wants to hear the truth. Spirit, move. Please do the work that needs to be done. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Yeah. I, I wonder what Emil Jelinek and Carl Benz would say when they see this Mercedes Benz. Now, you do not maybe know this, but uh, Carl Jelinek and, uh, of Emil Jelinek and Carl Benz started the, the Mercedes Benz company in the year, I think, 1904. Uh, and the reason why Mercedes is part of this is that Emil's daughter's name was Mercedes, and he was a Spanish guy. And uh, he decided to name the company after his daughter's name. That's where the Mercedes comes from. And Mercedes in Spanish actually means grace. So if you drive a Mercedes, it's a grace bench. Okay, but I know I'm not going there. So when they look at this car, they will probably say to themselves, this is not a Mercedes anymore. We designed this car to be completely different and not to look like this thing that we have here. And I think they probably may look at it and say, we're not sure if we can associate ourselves with this vehicle anymore because so many changes has been done to it. We all have a story to tell. And it has happened a few times in my life where I heard someone tell my story. Not their story, my story. I told a story about what happened to me, and then someone else decided to tell the story that I told or retell it to someone else, and I was present. And when they were done, I thought to myself, that was now an interesting story. I don't really recognize the parts that I think should be there, but that's, that's okay. But if it worked for them, they told it in their way what worked for them well and what they wanted to hear. The question is that I asked myself, what about God's story? You see, if you and I open the Bible, we find from page one the story of God in, God's involvement in our lives. That's what the Bible is all about. 
The Bible is about the creation. It's about what God gave us when He created us and put us in the garden. Then sin happened and we wandered off. And now the whole story tells us how God is pursuing us and He's running after us as He did with Adam and Eve. He was looking for them when they were hiding. And that's the story of God. But it's an extremely important story that has God's plan emerged, emerged, emerged in it. Immersed, sorry, that's a word, in it. But how is his story retold? Is it still God's story that you hear? I've told you this many times. I am um, subscribed to many different magazines type of things and then emails that find its way to me that I read to find out what's going on with the church. The church in America, the church in South Africa, the church a little bit all over the world because I can read Dutch and I understand a little bit of German. So I sometimes try to read also what's going on there. And what I've discovered is the following is that there's a way modern version of the story of God and the salvation story of God. And the modern version is that you are not really that bad. The the modern version is that Nothing should be said to you that offend you or make you feel bad or feel self-conscious about yourself. You just need to be completely fine about who you are because we do not want to break you down in any way, shape, or form. So you are actually not too bad. The second part that I hear a lot is that God is a little bit the problem. That he is to blame for all the bad and the wrong thing that's going on in the world. Because if God is God and he's a God of love, then God is supposed to stop and end the hardship and the pain that people are going through. Children are in hospital, they are dying. Wars in Ukraine, all of these things that are taking place. So God, in a sense, if he's so powerful and he's so amazing and he's so loving, why doesn't God stop this? So God, you need to get your act together and sort this stuff out and we are not too bad. The third thing that I see a lot, and and this is um, maybe a part of the problem of the church, is that there's this proclamation that God loves you. That is okay, but it needs to be defined. So when you drive down the street, you many times see on the streets, uh, on the church signs, God loves you, uh, uh, and billboards, God loves you, and it's all good. And people will walk around and say, God is love, and it's all fine, so you need to know that God is love. It's fantastic to know all of this. So I don't need to worry that much about God, do I? Because I can live my life the way that I would like to live it, and then God will take care of the rest behind me, except that he sometimes messes up a little bit. But on the other end, I don't need to fear anything, whatever. So if you tell me that God is a God of love, then why am I concerned about my eternal salvation? You know, I, um, I was driving on Friday, or I don't know, it was not yesterday, and I listened to NPR uh, to give me something to preach about on Sundays. Um, And they were talking, sometimes they have good programs like uh, whatever, but okay. So they were talking to this young woman, and, and uh, uh, she grew up in a Christian household. Uh, and, and they were part of a more conservative church. And the, and the person who was having the interview with her asked her, so you never felt that you owned your own body? And she said, no. 
And this person who interviewed her said, but that's terrible. Because how can you allow the church or then even your parents to tell you what you can or should not do or do with your own body? It is yours. It is yours. And the girl then told how she was released from this thing that was over her about the fact that she couldn't do or should do certain things with her body. That was biblical. That is now totally unacceptable in this world that we now live. But she's still part of the church. Just a new version of God and of God's expectation. The second problem is that we have this claim that Jesus saves. And that's true. He died on the cross. So when you drive past the church and people drive past the church while I'm preaching, they will see the cross. And maybe they will glance up at the cross as you come down or this way. And you look at yourself and if you know something about the Bible, okay, there's a guy like Jesus who died on the cross. So it's all cool. I can go and enjoy myself um, on the lake with my boat today. Not even give it a second thought. And time and time again, I have heard it proclaimed from pulpits and from the stages that people just need to hear that Jesus is the Savior and He saves. Is that God's story? Is that the biblical story? I'm afraid not. The problem is that we have here a redacted version of God's story. We actually have a redacted version where people take certain parts out that they do not like. And they just keep the parts that they do like. And again, to bring them to the point of saying, I do not want to offend anyone anymore. And therefore, people are told, and pastors I've heard say, oh, well, you need to be very careful to preach about sin, and to preach about damnation, and preach about hell, and preach about corruption, all of these things, because we do not want our people to feel bad. The music should be uplifting, everything should be great, people should walk out of the church after they've seen a great movie and feel good about themselves. That's not God's story. That's a redacted version of the story. What is the story? So in the Heidelberg Catechism, we have these two guys, Zacharias Ursinus and Caspar Ulvrianus, who really gave this deep thought. Because they my task and purpose was to write a catechism. And the catechism means actually to help people understand what it is that God wants to know us about Him, about life, and about salvation. People, and this is the most important thing in this world, is to deal with another person's salvation. I had an older colleague in South Africa. He said the most dangerous thing is to put somebody's salvation in the hands of an amateur. It's like going for surgery open heart surgery, and the guy that's doing the surgery on you doesn't really know what he's doing. That's the crisis at this point for me in the church, that a lot of people are coming to church buildings, and they sit and they listen to pastors that, with respect, are amateurs, that preach a redacted version of the Word of God. And during the time of this, it, the same thing happened. We are now in the middle, just after the Reformation took place. So there's a lot of theology out there that's completely unbiblical. So they gave it good thought because they knew when people read this document, people need to find their way in a biblical way to God so that they one day when they die are saved and do not end up not knowing God and it's because they were given a wrong story. And what did we discover so far as we were looking at the Heidelberg Catechism? We discovered that we are created for God's glory and we are created to be with Him. 
we discovered that God gave us this ability to think about Him and, and who He is, and we, we, decide to walk, we decide to walk away from God every single day, not only in paradise. And by walking away from God, we are disrespecting who He is, His character. Because actually we are saying to God, we don't think that you are good enough to be God. We discover that we are fallen, broken people, and that is really who we are. Paul, in the book of Romans, I'm reading Romans in the morning now, he says, rich man I am because I'm doing the opposite of what God is asking of me to do. I'm really not as great as I think I am. But then there's in the story of God, but one way back. The way that God created for us. The way that God designed for us. And there's no human way, there's only God's way. And we discover that this way is only through Jesus Christ that had to die for us on the cross. And you can listen to my previous sermons if you've missed this. And you will find it. Jesus, the only way, the truth, and the life. So shouldn't we put this now on a billboard outside? Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Yay, Jesus died for me on the cross. That's half of the story. Why? Because in John 6 we find the following. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you, may have, that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come, will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. I did not give you the text, but in Acts chapter 6, uh, 16. Yeah, 16. Paul and Silas in prison start to sing that God wants to kill himself. They say, don't do this. He says, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. You and your family can then be saved. Because through his faith, his family can also then know. So, the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism asked the following question. They said, so... Will all men then, and women, will all people then be saved through Christ as they come lost, became lost through Adam? And there's the answer. No. No. Only those who by true faith are incorporated into him and accept all his benefits. A respond needed. And that is what's not on the billboards. That is not what is always proclaimed. A repentance that is needed. A turn to God that is needed. A change of heart that is needed. True faith that is needed. So their answer is true faith, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment, but true faith is actually responding to what I know. Then to be incorporated in him, to it means that I am actually now seeing myself as part of a new family. Not organization, not group, but a family where I have a dad 
that is different from the only the dad I have on this planet. I need to accept all the benefits that is um, given to me. The benefits are not only the fact that I'm given the peace of God and I'm given a lot of things about His promises, but the benefits are also that He says, the only way I can protect you and help you through this life is by you obeying me. That you actually need to give your life away and give your life to me. So they ask the following question. So then, if faith is so important, if that's now the only way that anybody can be saved, if that actually is then the second part of the story that is many times so ignored, what is faith? And this is there's the answer. It is not only a certain knowledge by which I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in the, His Word, but also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me through the gospel. That only, not only to others, but to me also, God has given the forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation, out of sheer grace solely for the sake of Christ's saving word. What do you need to be saved? That is the thing that scares me the most in my life. Because I've asked this question to many people in my life. I, I have this fear, uh, uh, and it's based on an Old Testament verse, that I may end up in heaven and the Lord will say to me, Ferdy, you didn't do your job well. Countless of people came through your office and, and maybe through your church and you didn't ask him, them the right question. You didn't tell them the story, how it should be told. And therefore, it's to me one of the most serious conversations I can have with anyone. It's the conversation about salvation. Because I can't allow you to be in the hands of an amateur. I, I, I need to, to do the best I can with my biblical knowledge, my understanding of, of Greek and Hebrew and, and theology to give you the answer that I believe is God's answer. Because you and I should not be surprised one day. We should know. So what is faith? And I'm going to explain to you as I understand faith for myself that I've dealt with since I was... I found the Lord really when I was, I think, 15 years old, when I was in grade 11. I grew up in a church, but I didn't really like going to church. I don't know. It didn't really make sense to me. Then I found the Lord on a Saturday afternoon in the most boring circumstance you can imagine with the most, most boring pastor. The Lord used him that Saturday afternoon. On a Saturday afternoon. I think Paul would have written against it if he knew about the Saturday afternoon. <laughs> to sit in a class. And this guy said something he touched. Because what did he touch? My head first. He explained the story of Christ. I've heard it so many times. I grew up in the church. And for the first time, I thought to myself, and you guys that came to Alpha on Tuesday heard that Nicky Gumbel said the same thing. I knew it was true. I just realized that this story that is presented, presented to me is not a fable. It's not fabricated. It's really true. And I decided to believe it. I didn't feel it. I had no vision. I had no nothing. I just decided, this must be true. It must be true. There's no other way that this cannot not be true. So if anybody asks me, Ferdy, why do you believe in God? I said, because I chose to believe in God. Because through the Holy Spirit, God gave me His Word. And what I found in it, I believe with all my heart, is the truth.
But then there's the second part. That's the trust part. It needs to move from your head to your, to your heart. What does the trust part mean? It means that I start to use this knowledge that I now have about God, and I start to apply it to the way I deal with life and living. You see, I may know how to do certain things in my house. I, I may know how to, to, to fix a TV, for an example. But now I've got a broken TV. And I'm not applying my knowledge to fixing this thing, so I will end up with a broken TV for the next three months because I'm not applying my knowledge. I actually now need to take the knowledge and apply it to something that I need to deal with. The same with this. So there's the knowledge about God. There's a God that I believe is all alive that gave me His Word, and I now need to go and apply this to who I am. And who am I? I I'm a person that needs this God. And I look in the mirror and I think, I'm not as cool as I thought I was. There may be things that I need to reconsider in my life, and the only way I can reconsider it is by looking at the mirror that's not my own mirror, but God's mirror, that will reflect back to me something different than I actually want to see. And where's this mirror? It's still in this book. It's still in this book. And then this book tells me that I need to talk to this God that I believe is true. Now I say, I. And no lightning flash hits me and nothing really happens. I say, I, I'm here, I'm 30. And the more I say, I, I'm here, I'm 30, 30, I get more comfortable to realize. But actually, he's not this judge that sits there that's angry at me. He's a dad that smiles at me and says, hey, 30, man. What you used to talk to me. And I start to talk to a God that I believe is as real as you are sitting in front of me. And I run and I tell him my story and I complain and I sometimes tell him I'm upset about stuff that he's done. As I did to my own dad. But at the end of the day I say, you know, you God, I'm not, but thank you for caring for me. So trust at some point means that I apply my knowledge about what God teaches me in the Bible to my life. The third thing. This is only possible through the Holy Spirit. And the reason why Paul is saying this time and time again in the book of Galatians, Romans, and, 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 and Ephesians, is that he wants us to know that even my faith is not something that I can be proud of and say, yay, I'm a believer. That I need to say, thank you, God, that you gave me your son, that you gave me your word, that you gave me everything that I can believe. It's a gift from you. I did nothing to deserve this. But most of all, you tell me I'm okay, not because I'm so great. I'm okay because your son saw my brokenness, and he saw my wrestle with myself, and he saw my impatience, and he saw everything, and he died for me on the cross. And, and now I can stand in front of you with Christ between us, and when I struggle, Christ will say, but it's okay, I've got it. I'll tell my dad. That's what salvation means to me. That even with my broken life, I can stand before the only holy living God and in front of me is standing Jesus. He says, relax, I've got it. I paid the price for you. I'll tell my dad it's, it's, it's okay, but stop doing that nonsense. <laughs> he says that also, isn't it? Isn't it? You see, and when I start to apply this, I, I realize at some point, but if I'm a child of God, then why do I need to fear death? Because 
there's not a book that's going to be opened when I die to hear if I'm saved. That book is opened today when I live. My salvation is not determined when I die. My salvation is determined today if I believe. So it's not going to be a surprise if I say, Hey, Dad, when I woke up this morning, Lord, thank you. Help me through this day in my sermon. And may you all come and, and hear what I need to say. I, I've done what the Lord asked me to do. I believe in Him. And I apply my faith in Him. I'm His child. Why do I need to fear death? Because it has nothing to do with then. It has to do with now. That's the righteousness that has been given to us. This is all grace. Grace is God's gift. It's God's gift that He gives to us. But the gift that needs to be accepted. And that is not always what is on the billboard outside, is it? That's not always what's on the billboards outside when people say God loves you and Jesus saves. They should add immediately, but turn to God and to Jesus. Because that's how I receive what God has given. My dad calls me, he says, Ferdy, I have a lawnmower for you. I see your grass is quite tall and you need to mow your lawn. And I say, thanks, Dad, I appreciate this. I'll come by and get the lawnmower. But my grass is growing and growing and growing. I get five letters from the HOA. And they say, you need to mow your lawn. I say, I don't have a lawnmower. My dad calls me. He says, I've got a lawnmower. I say, Dad, I know. I'll come by and get the lawnmower. But my grass is growing. I get them all later and now I get a fine. My son died for you on the cross. Come get it. Yeah, I think it's cool, but I'm not busy here. I will do it. And I get a letter from this and that, and my life is falling apart. And God yelled, Ferdy, my son died for you. Come and take it. Receive in me the guidance and the peace and the joy that I want you to have. Yeah, I'm busy now. I'll come and get it. Oh, busy. Later. Not now. And my life is falling apart. My life is falling apart. It needs to be received, the gifts. It needs to be taken. It needs to be applied. And how do I receive it? By saying, yes, I know it's true. Yes, I know it was also for me. Thank you. I'm going to use what I now know to apply to my life and to my relationship with you and then with others. My final slide. I, uh, I'm not done with my sermon. This is only for today. How can I be done? It's too, more, it's too important and serious to be done. No, this is only for now. I, I need, can't keep you until midnight. So no, we will continue next week. But now for today. Ferdy, what, what does it mean to believe? It means that I have a restored little relationship with the only holy living God. This is the story of this little kid, boy, this big. And he was somewhere, and a family member visiting asked him, do you have a girlfriend? He said, yes. He said, so what's her name? Matilda. Cool. So what do you talk about? I've never talked to her. <laughs> but she's your girlfriend. No, she doesn't know it yet. <laughs> How can I have a relationship with someone if I don't talk to that person. If I don't make that person a part of, my, part of my life and my thinking process. We moved from South Africa. We had a ton of friends there. Louis said when we came back now, of all the friends we have, we have like five 
couples left that we still have connections with. The reason why the others sort of disappeared is because of the time difference, because of difficulty in communication and lots of things. And all of you have had the experience that you have been close to people and then as the relationship, there are barriers that sometimes creeps in and then things start to, and slowly, it, you, after a year, oh, we haven't spoken to them. After two years, oh, shoot, we should. What keeps a relationship alive? When you contact that person, when you speak to that person, when they speak with you, when there's an openness and a connection and a sharing and respect and, and trying to get to one another. And when we are there, we have family and friends that will drive far to be with us. And they will leave everything to come and just hang out with us for a lunch or a dinner or something. And we laugh and we tell stories. and That's what keeps it alive. What is faith? God's my friend with respect. He's my dad. I talk to him a lot. I know I irritate him, but I know he cares for me. And I know he can't wait for me to be one day in the place he's prepared for me. Because in John he says, I'm making a place for you to come and live with me. And that drags me through my day knowing I'm not alone. Why must I fear life? Why must I fear all this rubbish that's going on in the world? Because the God I believe in is in control of all this, this nonsense. Did he tell me I'm going to have a perfect life? No, that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. But I know that in the midst of all the rubbish I'm going through, he's there. And I can be upset with him, I can be angry with him, and I can be, can be happy with him. And I allow him to speak to me. Dad, what do you want me to do today? Read Romans this morning. I think I know Romans chapter 6, where Paul says, I have found that the sin that I do not want to do, I do. <laughs> Lord, yeah, that's true of me also, man. And maybe last week I lost my temper and I was not that kind where I should have been or whatever. I was on the road yesterday and got stuck in traffic on I-4 and then you start to think interesting words, don't you? <laughs> Lord, I'm sorry. I know you want to help me. I will listen a little bit more. That's faith. That's saving faith. Not just driving past the church and waving at the cross and ignoring the word that I need to accept. If you want to chat more about this after worship, I'm there in my office if this is something that you feel that is not resolved for you yet. I'm going to continue with my series next week, but I invite you. Don't walk out of this place today and feel, mm, talk. That's why I'm here. That's why other people are here. Ask a question. All you need to know is, do you believe in Jesus? You're a child of God. You are saved. And how I then show it to the world is by being or living like a child of God. It's not the other way around. It starts with faith. Stand with me, please. Let's say this. This is what we believe. Say it loud and clear. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, 
and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father. Most shall come to touch the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. Yes, sit down please. If you believe what you have just read now with all your heart, you want to apply this to your life, you are a child of God and you are saved. I can say this to you in the name of Jesus. Live like people that are saved.